Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Learning Out Loud. Today, we are joined by guest Professor Lovelace, who I was lucky enough to take his class this past semester all about leadership. Professor Lovelace researches the social and cognitive influences that shape leader behavior, leader-follower relationships, and performance at the individual and firm level. Professor Lovelace has published journal articles, books, and book chapters in a variety of outlets, including Academy of Management Review, Academy of Management Journal, Journal of Management, and the Leadership Quarterly. He teaches classes on leadership, power, and influence in organizational change at the undergraduate and graduate levels. He also has experience running corporate education workshops for a variety of organizations in the public and private sectors. Prior to his academic career, he served as an officer in the United States Army from 2002 until 2014. I hope you enjoy. I guess to start off, like besides just that intro, like can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and like your story and getting to the military and everything like that? Sure. So I've been here at UVA for what will be six years this summer. Um, before my life in academia, I was an army officer. So I was actually an army brat. I grew up all over the place. Uh, I spent time in all up and down the East Coast, North Carolina, Rhode Island, New York. Um, we went to Alaska when I was a, a junior high kid, and then uh, South Korea for part of my high school experience. I graduated high school in El Paso, Texas, and I went to West Point for my undergraduate uh, degree. I majored in American politics there, um, and then I went into the Army. I was an intelligence officer, and I spent most of my time jumping out of perfectly good airplanes um, when I was in the Army down at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I did two deployments to Iraq during my military career, and on the second one, I, I felt like I needed something different to help me grow as an individual, and so they had a program in the Army, you could go get a master's degree, and then they'd send you to teach at, at West Point, be kind of a rotating faculty member there. So I went to Penn State, and I got my master's in industrial organizational psychology, uh, and while I was there, I just sort of got bit by the academic bug. I, I enjoyed the research and asking questions and learned that it was a lot of fun to teach. And so when I got to West Point and taught for a time up there, I ended up making a hard decision that my life was going to go a different direction. And so I got out of the Army and went back to Penn State, finished my Ph.D., and then you know, led to me getting the job here at, at McIntyre. Like I said, uh, that was six years ago, and it feels like it's blown by in, in an instant. Was there something in the Army that led to your interest in organizations? Like, what's the parallel there? Sure. So, you know, for everyone that's in the Army, leadership is a major focus of what you're doing, you know, developing others. There's a big uh, emphasis on team and the development of other leaders, like how to be able to do two jobs ahead of the position you're in and sort of preparing people to take that next role. There's always the expectation that people are going to move move on to other positions. And so I was really interested in this idea of leadership because I was doing that. Um, but then also seeing like I was responsible for developing others and I wanted to understand that in a better, more systematic way. What's the science behind that? Not just kind of winging it by experience, uh, sort of doing that thing. And when I had that opportunity to go back to school, Penn State actually had a, an interesting program where they were studying terrorist organizations and thinking about how the uh, basis of research on psychology and leadership could be applied to help us better understand how do these organizations work? How do terrorist organizations recruit people, lead people, you know, how do they motivate people? 
Um, and so it just at that moment that I felt like I needed to develop, it was like, oh, I can go back and I can learn about these concepts in a you know, civilian uh, institution, university. Um, but then I can also try to apply them in a way that seemed like it was relevant to my job. And, and little did I know that I was going to learn way more than I had ever anticipated I was going to have the chance to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Was there ever a thought to take all that and go back to the military? Or uh, Yes, for a while I considered that. I think um, it was a lot of personal kind of reflection, like what's your purpose? What did I love about the Army? I loved a lot the idea of getting to develop other people, um, you know, being of service to others. Even when I was in high school, that was a big thing for me. Like, why do you go do what you want to do? Um, I knew I wanted to, to do something where I felt like I was giving back to something bigger than myself. I came from a military family, so a lot of those values on, you know, duty and loyalty, you know, country, integrity, these things were stressed in my household growing up, and they, you know, stuck with me. I saw West Point as a way that I could do that, and then develop skills, but give service back to our country. Um, I was at West Point when September 11th happened, you know, not too far down the Hudson River. And so it made very real, very quickly, this this commitment to, to give back. Uh, and so when I went to school the first time, to, or excuse me, when I went to Penn State to get my master's, my expectation was go teach at West Point, go, you rotate back into another military job. Uh, but I kind of discovered what I really cared about was helping other people learn and, and develop. And through a few years of teaching there at the academy, I was like, you know, I can do that in some different ways. It doesn't have to just be being a military officer. There's some options for doing that outside of the, the Army. But I had also got this just, you know, motivation to ask questions and to dig into those questions and to be able to play with things that I didn't understand. And that was the appeal of kind of being a, a faculty member, a professor at a university. It was like, I could do both of those things. I could develop people, but, I, you know, that intellectual curiosity and exploring things I, I wanted to know more about was a key part of that job, too. So I felt like I could have my cake and eat it, too, a little bit, you know? Were there any parts about life in academia that, were, that weren't in the military that you were missing from that, that time back there, especially? Uh, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said it wasn't an adjustment. There's uh, military, like a lot of other organizations, right? You get this sense of identity on who you are. Um, what you represent. It was very easy in the military to feel that sense of pride, right? You're putting on a uniform. I mean, symbolically, you're putting on a uniform every day. It has the flag on it. You, you can get very motivated by that. Uh, and it's very easy to see the connection between what you're doing and, and service to the country. It's a little, you know, more distal, I'd say, being a professor in, in academia. And so that was something I struggled with a little bit. And also, I was in the Army for 12 years. And so when you're part of something for 12 years, that's so core to who you are. Who are you without being part of that, that group? You know, and that's the same for a lot of people. Like you leave college, you're no longer on the team, the sports team you were part of, right? Um, or even a group of friends that you define yourself by. And then you move away to another location. And so... It was a, a little bit of a struggle with what was that identity? Who was I without that? Were there values that I could hold just as true as an individual and I didn't have to have them tied to being part of that organization? I think that was the, the little bit of roller coaster getting out of the military. Did that answer your question? Yeah, that makes sense. And this is something that I think we've talked about a little bit. And this was, I was listening to a podcast with Alex Ramosi earlier and he was talking about, 
he's a, you know business guy who's you know started you know many big companies as his acquisition mm-hmm. um, company now. But he was talking about one of the traits of successful people is being able to kind of break down their goals or their rewards for themselves into sure. smaller pieces or push it farther away from the end goal. So it kind of sounds like helping people or service that's like very boots on the ground, literally in the military. And then helping people or being of service to a you know bigger thing sure. um, is a little bit you know more indirect here as far as the time horizon. But yeah. I, I would say it, it took me a little while to see like what was that connection, and then I could do that somewhere else. It just looked a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even necessarily say that helping people was more distal. It just was a little bit of a different form. It wasn't the the literal every day being in formation and doing physical training. And, you know, um, it was having impromptu discussions with the student that wants to talk about their career after school or after a class, right? Um, it's talking about some of the material that you know is going to be important. Maybe it doesn't hit right away, but it plants a seed for when you run into an experience on the job two years later, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what we were talking about. And I, I see the, you know, why this is relevant to um, my work experience now. Right? It's just it's being able to understand that, that adjustment. And I could see it there, but now over my time, both teaching at West Point and teaching here, uh, I was much more able to recognize how that purpose translated into more of an academic environment. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Was it kind of just a gut feeling that you got that, that that was more of your purpose, or was it something else? Because I think that that's something that college students often struggle with, that they, they don't really know what their purpose is. Sure. Um, this is something that's very important to me, by the way, because I, I worry for college students today so often I see students come through their experience and they're like, I got to have that right job and this is going to be the perfect thing for me for the rest of my life. And I got to do like, and I'm a big believer in go figure that you can transition and you get something from every experience you're part of, but it's okay to change. And there's points of inflection that you're going to have naturally through your career uh, to go on and to, to discover other things. How do you discover that purpose? It's, constant reflection and, and discussion with others, right? A lot of that on your own, but do you have mentors that are helping you do things? Are you taking a step back from experiences that you have? Um, and is this what I want to do? Why do I like this? What is important about this to me? Too often, people just kind of go with the flow of the experience, but don't take a step back. And we call them after action reviews in the army. That was the kind of term for them, AARs. And too often, people don't do that, I think, today, um, that you don't take a moment to say, What's the value of this experience? What am I getting out of this? What am I enjoying about it? What am I not enjoying about it? What am I doing well? What am I not doing well? How can I do something different moving forward? And like I said, you can process that in a lot of ways. Self-reflection, mentorship, you know, peer reflection are all some ways to help you kind of dial into what might that purpose be? What do I want to you know, do with that? How am I going to explore that in my, in my own kind of career journey? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because when people are so tunnel vision, they almost don't let themselves reflect sure. and like don't want to reflect because then it could like steer them away. Yeah, and I think you don't learn as much when you do that, yeah. right? Too often like, oh, you got to go get that experience and you go do that internship. But if you do that internship and you never think about it really afterwards, you just put it on the resume and move on. There's no point. <laughs> yeah, maybe it helps you, but it helps you more if you kind of take a step back and like, what did I take from that? 
getting that document, you know, write it down wherever you keep your kind of notes, whether it's a journal, whether it's just, you know, um, spending some deliberate time reflecting on it and just kind of making a mental note of it. Um, I think that can be, you know, a really important experience to maximize mm -hmm. what you're getting out of those kinds of experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I was just going to ask, does that for you look like sitting down with a pen and paper, writing that down or typing it up or just kind of having those kind of landmarks to look at and reflect as you go throughout your day? How does that look for you? Yeah, I think it depends. Sometimes it's less formal than that. Um, sometimes it's discussions with somebody that's close to me. A lot of times for me now, it's my spouse, who's kind of my partner in crime and life, right? You know, that that you can rely on. But um, And my dad is another person I still go to and is a, a key kind of person to um, kind of call me out if I'm not doing things to the to the standard that I want to do them. Sometimes it is writing them down. Um, I have in our in my class that I teach leadership across the disciplines have this recommended exercise where you can chart your journey line. And so what that journey line does is what are all these key points you've run into and what kind of experience was it for you in terms of its positive affectivity, right? Was it positive? Was it negative? Did it change your trajectory? Was it a crucible kind of experience? And so Naturally, because I teach that class now, every year I update it. And so every year I come back to that journey line, I think about what's happened since then. Is there anything I need to add to this and what that experience was? How do I think about that experience? How did it change my trajectory? Uh, and so, yes, and, right? Yes, I document some of those things. Yes, some of those things are, are documented in writing for me in the journal. Um, but other of them you know, might be less formal and they're more kind of discussions that I have with others just to help me kind of get a sense of what's going on around me. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that timeline thing. I think, uh, I think it would also help you to get comfortable with realizing how much you do change. You know, if you look For at sure. all these previous changes and you're like, wow, it led me to here and I'm happy where I'm at now, like I should keep doing this. I should be willing to change more. It gives you perspective, too, because when you go back and look, right, uh, you can look back at some of these experiences you had. Maybe they're now, and they're things that feel so important to you in the moment. And five years from now, you have a different kind of experience. And you're like, gosh, that thing rocked my world, and I wasn't sure I was ever going to be able to make it through there. And you realize how strong you've gotten, um, and you realize maybe the complexity of how your life has gotten even more challenging and you can handle so much more than you did, you know, five years ago, um, helps to make you feel a little more confident. You can handle the, the curveballs that life throws at you as you go along. Right. Yeah. yeah. Something else that we were interested in, which is kind of related now that we're talking about like stressful situations. Um, how do you, or how do you think that people our age or just in general can like relax or just calm themselves <laughs> down after these super stressful scenarios? Yeah, so a couple things is I feel like we so often will be like, well, how are you going to perform in the moment of crisis or stress? And I have this feeling that you, you can't be in a crisis moment or a stressful moment what you haven't been leading up to that time. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, well, hey, I want to be able to handle this challenging leadership situation but if you haven't invested in the people around you, if you haven't built some systems that help you make decisions, right? Like these templates we talk about or a structure for how to think about things when things are so stressful that it's hard to make out what's important. Do you have a, a kind of template for your decision making to say, hey, here are the four things I need to consider. Let me 
kind of make sense of those, you know, what's going on in relation to these four areas, or, you know, what's important about this situation? What are my values? What kind of values am I going to hold as important? If you haven't spent any time reflecting on what are your core values and thinking about how you practice those values in your day-to-day life to try to then uphold them in a very, you know, chaotic, complex, stressful situation, it is going to be that much harder. So how do you do better in stressful situations? What are you doing to prepare yourself now, right? Not that you can compare, or excuse me, prepare yourself for every complex situation, but how are you paying in a little bit every day into the piggy bank of what are my values? What's my competence? How do I process difficult kinds of situations so that you have to think less when you're handling something challenging. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so again, you're not going to be somebody different in a crisis if you haven't figured out who you are and how you process information beforehand. So doing your homework a little bit will prepare you to better handle those those kinds of challenges. Are there specific ways to try to figure those things out besides just thinking about your values? Like, Do you have specific ways that you've done that? Um, so I think a couple of the ways that I do that, I mean, yes, it's one, what am I, you know, who am I, what do I want to hold as important, what are my sort of non-negotiable sorts of things to do. Um, some of it's learning from practice, and so putting yourself out there, and, you know, I'm trying to think of some examples for students, but, hey, what club are you going to go be part of, How, you know, what worked, what didn't work, you know, uh, when you're trying to influence people and bring them on board to do something what do you like about leaders that you've had that have led you well in challenging types of situations? How did, you know, what kind of characteristics or behaviors did they display? And so you can, you know, chart those down and, and think about them a little bit. And so you can try to uphold those things. And then afterwards, what went well, what didn't go well, and how might you do that differently uh, the next time around? So again, you have some idea, you have some tools in place not that you're sitting there with like your notebook and going through, but if you spent a little bit of time deliberately thinking about them, um, talking about them with mentors, talking about them with friends, having some key people around you that will help hold you accountable to the things you have said are important to you, um, those are all some things that have been very important to me. I like that. Yeah, so I guess that's kind of the like the preparation as far as values, and then what about how you can build resilience like leading up to a stressful situation? What are like some small things you can do each day or sure. each week? Um, I think how are you putting yourself into some situations in a lead up to that, right? So you, you guys had asked me beforehand a little bit about what are some of the lessons to the, from the Army that I mm-hmm. think about applying into kind of the everyday world. And, and I've told you about some of the kind of after action, after action reviews and, and kind of reflecting on what has happened and what you're going to do moving forward. Um, but one of the things is, how are you testing yourself now? What are, how are you seeking out experiences that are going to help you be tested? They don't have to be, you know, the most complex decision you're going to make in the world, but being involved in certain clubs, being involved in, you know, more philanthropic types of activities or volunteering to, to do things or just putting yourself in situations, whether it's you want to go run a marathon or accomplishing some of these goals. How are you putting yourself in some situations that are going to push you and make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? 
some of the students that I have in the leadership minor that I'm in charge of, they take a, you know, some classes on persuasion and influence, like advanced business speaking. And a lot of them don't want to get up and talk in front of other people, but it forces you into some experiences of doing those things. And after you do it, it takes the shine off of how difficult that might feel, right? Um, because you had to get out there in front of people, because you had to feel a little bit of that stress on doing something maybe you're not as comfortable with, you build up a little bit of a resilience to um, those challenging kinds of situations. It's, it's sort of like a muscle, right? It, you're not going to be expected to, to lift 100 pounds if you haven't worked your way up to lifting 100 pounds. You've got to work it out. You've got to work that muscle out, that resilience muscle out. Um, and the more you put yourself in some situations that help to develop that, that's one way to do it. How do you develop knowledge around, you know, the ways that we're resilient and, and things that are helpful to be resilient in difficult situations, whether that be different types of strategies or things like that, you can develop that knowledge. Then you get experiences, you try to apply that knowledge and maybe it works as well as you'd like it to or it doesn't, but over time you're combining those two things. And then that other piece I thought about, or I told you about with the reflection is again, afterwards what went well, what didn't go well. And so Again, in, that, in the leadership I, class I teach, the intro leadership class, we kind of focus that whole class around those ideas. What are we developing in terms of our new knowledge? How to handle things? What do we call things? What are the concepts we need to be paying attention to? How do we pair that with experiences that help to test us and to you know, make us put some of these skills in application? And then how do we follow through and reflect on them? So how do you combine those three things? And I think together, all three of those can help make you a, a more resilient leader. Yeah. Fair was, enough? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> a great answer. It was a good answer. Yeah. It was definitely very connected to Tim Davis's too. Like yeah. he, he used the muscle analogy too, yeah. which I really love. That, that really resonates, I think, yeah. with all of us about, yeah. It makes sense, right? Yeah. If you're if you're not working at, if you're not working out, you're not going to be in great shape. So if yeah. you're not working on, on being a leader that can be resilient or being somebody that can be resilient in a, a situation, that's that's not going to happen without some preparation. Yeah, I think sometimes people are just like, "Oh, I want to be fill in the blank," and then they don't actually do anything to work on that. It's so hard work to get sense. there, right? Yeah. yeah. And how important do you think the fact is that that's that's every day or that's close to every day, the kind of the discipline of doing that consistently? How does that contribute to? Sure. Yeah. I, I don't think it has to be every day. Right. Um, but it is something that has to be consistent. And you all have very busy lives as as college students. I have a busy life as a professor and I have three kids at home and it can be very hard to find those moments. But are you scheduling these things into your day, week, month? And sometimes you're going to have more time to do it, and it's going to be every day. And other times, you're going to go start a new job after you graduate. You're not very far away from that at all, right? Yeah. Uh, and so you're going to be drinking from the fire hose when you get started in your professional career. And that's not going to be every day. But what can you make time for, right? Maybe then it's once every three weeks, you find a little bit of time to, to do something, or maybe it's, I'm learning so much at work, I don't have time to, to kind of process new knowledge, but hey, I've got a mentor that can help center me, or I've got some friends that I can talk about these things with and be honest about what's going on, and they're gonna help ground me, so where can you work those things in? And then in a year, you'll have it all down. You're going to have more bandwidth to, uh, you know, to, to incorporate that more often. But it's, when are you doing it? You've got to invest in, in your development like that. And, mm -hmm. and so 
when are you finding the time to do it? And be honest with yourself about how much time you have to give uh, to that process right now, knowing that later you have to ramp it up a little bit and, and mm-hmm. give some more time to it. Yeah. You've mentioned mentors a lot. So sure. what are some important things that you've learned from some? And also, how do you suggest that we find good ones? Sure. Um, so it, it's interesting. I've had mentors in a lot of different roles. Um, mentors that have taught me by the example of what you should do. And I don't think we typically think about mentors like this, but I have had maybe people who were supervisors who were ended up being role models of what I didn't want to be as well. Yeah, um, I mean, that makes sense too. <laughs> can be, you know, it's sometimes from experiences you learn what you want to be and what you don't want to be, and both of those are valuable lessons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I found from mentors... the the willingness to give up their time. Uh, But I found maybe on the other side of being a mentee, when that was the most fruitful to me was when I was able to meet them in the amount of effort or exceed the effort the mentor was giving me. And so in terms of what I was putting into getting their feedback was more valuable when I put more effort in. And I wasn't just in receive mode for, for that mentor. And when I could help that mentor guide their feedback. So being specific. Hey, I'm open to any of your input, but here is something I'm really working on. Um, that has been when I've had the best, uh, the, the best feedback from mentors, the most applicable feedback from those mentors. So a lot of what I think about is like, how are you owning your own development, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so how are you owning that relationship with the mentor? You know, not expecting them to just re- reach out to you, but having a genuine interest in what's going on with them and being willing to reach out to them. You know what's important to you in terms of values and things like that. And when you know that, you recognize that in mentors who have been able to demonstrate that in their career. And so deciding that that's an important relationship to you to maintain and continuing to invest in that, um, even if it's just to reach out and and connect from time to time with a, a genuine sense of wanting to, to know what's going on, not just because you're expecting something mm-hmm. back. So owning that relationship, the genuineness of, of that connection, um, I think are two things that kind of guide how I think about those those processes with mentors. Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess just to go back to the point about kind of owning your own self-development, are there ways that you track that for yourself either quantitatively or qualitatively where you can kind of check in and say okay I think I've made progress in this scenario or this arena and I think maybe it's time for me to reach out to a mentor or me to focus more on my development in this area how do you manage that sure Um, and I would say these are sometimes things that you know are important and you don't always even uphold yourself like I've gotten sometimes I'm doing it very well and sometimes I get away from it life gets stressful and I'm not paying as deliberate attention to those things, right? Um, luckily right now, for example, as a faculty member, we have a we have a really strong faculty development process here at, at McIntyre. And so every year we're required to chart out our goals and we do those in terms of what's important to us in this job, right? And so it's research, teaching, and service. And so because we have to do that for work, I take that very seriously and I, and I really try to do a great job on that where it's helpful to me, not just for the purpose of what work's having me do, 
but finding some synergy and that kind of works for me as an individual and my own development as well. So that's one way I'm, I'm doing that on a yearly basis and, and I'm able to track that. As a faculty member, some of it's publication of articles, some of it's feedback on, I have to review for other journals and so can set goals for a number of things. And so some of it's very quantifiable mm-hmm. um, and you can look at it that way. Some of it's less quantifiable. Um, I think about things like, how are my classes and are students responding to this? And some of that's qualitative and the surveys we do at the end of the year and I have to try to make sense of those. Um, That can sometimes be hard because it's a little bit subjective, right? Um, And I could focus on just the responses that are pretty positive about class and be like, ah, the other one I don't know so much that that's that's useful. And so that's again where we get back to, you know, how are you holding yourself accountable are there folks that you can have come in and give you some objective feedback on things? I've asked other faculty to come in, for example, and observe my teaching to give me feedback. Um, there's processes for us like the uh, Center for Teaching Excellence that we can take advantage of to, to come in and do those things as well. So finding some objective ways. That's going to look different for you depending on what your career is. but. Are there some quantifiable things? And then are there some things that you can have some trusted voices come in and and also give you some more objective feedback so you know you're not kind of fooling yourself on uh, how you're doing with meeting some of these goals? Would you have a similar answer for things not related to your career? Um, I think so. I think you kind of, you know, what do we know about goals, right? We we just talked to, Mm -hmm. Marley, we just talked about this in class what makes for good goals. They're specific, they're measurable, you participate in what they are, they're time bound, so you can create some nesting to those goals where you're working towards what those things are. Those are solid principles that apply not just in your personal, or not just to your professional life, but to your your personal life as well, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think the personal side can get a little bit more, it might be harder to quantify yeah. some of those things, um, but I think that if you're, if you're creative, you can create some metrics of how am I going to hold myself accountable to this and how am I going to know if I achieved those things or not, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think something that we've talked about that relates to this as well, though, is that, you know, the, the idea of burnout and juggling too much at one time, like if we're attacking everything with this level of focus, yep. I think it can be hard to try and be the best professor you can be and the best father you can be and invest in yourself. And so how do you try and balance those things either from just a time management perspective or just in your own head, switching gears to today I'm going to focus on this or this week I need to really buckle yeah. down on X, Y, and Z. I'll be honest, it's hard. Um, and, and I think that life only gets more complicated as you get older to, you know, I hope that's not a, I hope that's not a, you know, it just, you you get more responsibilities, right? Your responsibilities extend beyond yourself as you get promoted at work. You're going to have more people that are, you're responsible for overseeing. Your personal lives are going to get more complicated as they develop and, you know, depend, whatever is in the future for you on kind of the personal side of things as you get wider friend groups, as you move to cities away from people and you want to maintain contact with them, whether you have a family, whether you have kids, it can be, it can be hard. And so what's going to help you continue to be authentic to the things that matter to you? Um, I'll be honest, I can get so 
fixated on work that it becomes my sole focus and I need my spouse, her name's Shannon. Um, we've been married for now 18 years. Um, that she'll tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, hey, buddy, you know, um, <laughs> you need to like pick your head up and, and pay attention to some of the other things that are happening in life around you, right? And so sometimes we can't just hold ourselves accountable. So yeah. what are the ways that you have people that really matter to you, people that you trust that can tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, can you take a step back, right? I have had to recently really schedule everything. And I mean like everything on my calendar where it's like, now I will write from this time to this time. We understand. You know, and <laughs> this is the time that I'm going to, to yeah. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is the time that I'm going to take my kids to X, Y, V, Z activity. And on this weekend, we're going to do these things. And so it just, if I don't put that stuff on my calendar, um, I don't keep myself honest to it right but if it's on my calendar like that's the yeah. rule that's the that's the guy i always say but, i yeah. like to put like relax on my calendar yeah, I, I was just gonna do you have like <laughs> an outlet that you schedule yeah. in to make sure you're hitting that as well yeah and i say it changes from time to time but i try to make sure i always have something on schedule so i have picked up playing tennis like recently and so i have had a, a you know tennis lesson most since the new year like it's gonna be this time or working out, like I have, those are two things that I try to make sure I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I guess they're both kind of physical activity yeah. related, um, but I kind of need that to k- sort of turn my brain off and keep myself physically fit. And, and I feel like if I'm in good physical shape, I'm going to be in better mental shape uh, as well. And so making sure I, I do those things. We got a Peloton a couple of years ago, <laughs> and like it shows you all the uh, activities you've done. And so I look back at that, and I can see what I have done and not done. And I'm like, oh man, I start to feel kind of guilty if I if I've underperformed on on getting on the on the bike and doing the other kind of stuff there. And so, you know, I know I've talked a lot about kind of documenting these things, but it's a way that I'm not able to explain away I, I did kind of did those you know I kind of worked out since the the new year no I can <laughs> I can track and look back and there's so many easy apps and things that are out there for doing those things now I got to document that I'm gonna do these things and I got to follow up and be able to look back to to hold myself accountable so I can't sort of explain you know on the sly sort of <laughs> explain away why I did or didn't do as much as I told myself I would yeah yeah, that's that's a great answer. What did um what did relaxing look like when you were in the military, if there was at all? Um, it was different from place to place. Uh, so for the I remember, so I was a twenty two year old lieutenant the first time I deployed in the army, right? Um, and so at that time, I was not married. I was able to go play as much golf as I wanted to, and and that was kind of what the people I was with wanted to do. So that was kind of how we relaxed, right? You go out, you play golf. Um, those kinds of things. It's it's evolved now with three kids, 13, 11, and 8. Um, some of that relaxing time is doing things with them and, and finding where those, you know, those kind of overlaps are. It might be watching Star Wars, you know, what, big fans of The Mandalorian in our households or watching the, that stuff together. Um, or it's going to watch them, you know, be in their fencing tournaments or, or whatever the activity that they're a part of. Um, but being there for, for my family is kind of the, the key thing now. Um, 
but things that help you separate completely from work. How do I, how am I able to put that in the back seat and not have that kind of occupy my thoughts is, is what has been consistent, whether it was as that 22 year old Lieutenant or to now. Right. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, I mean, I at least struggle with it. I'm sure you guys do to a certain extent, but turning it off, like yeah. the, the physical um, exercise seems to help a lot and try to get to the gym every day because I'm just mentally off if I don't, yeah. but I'm always trying to find new ways to like really turn off because I definitely struggle to do that. Well, it's hard too when we have so much technology at our fingertips and you know, you're getting pinged every time you get a new email. So how are you structuring your life to be able to turn those things off from time to time? Yeah. I've been, I've, I've tried to delete some social media, so I try, I try to get away from it a little bit. Um, I think I've become more aware of the effect it has. But, yeah. Um, it's hard though. Like, you know, you want to know what emails you're getting. You want to know if something's going on, but. What's well, also, what's our expectation for others, right? We have this expectation on ourselves to respond to these things, but do you expect other people to do that for you all the time? I think probably you're more lenient for what you expect yeah. for other people. And, and so can you give yourself a little bit of that grace as well, right? Mm-hmm. That's a good way. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Do we want to? Something that we were asking other people that we've had on the podcast is what advice you would give to yourself at twenty years old. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, You know, I I look back and I, I I think about this now for me, but I also think about this for students now, right? Because I think y'all are kind of living through the part of life where I would have given myself some advice on things. And so um, it's going to be all right, no matter what happens, if you put put good effort into it uh, and, and you take key lessons learned, there's going to be opportunities to pivot and there's a place for you, regardless of how any specific incident kind of charts itself out. Um, I think if I could go back and tell myself anything else, I would want to better understand the options that are available to you that are out there in life, right? Like, I look at a university like ours, there are so many amazing things that you can go do uh, and do really well. And if you don't enjoy it, then there's plenty of other things that you can go figure out and have the opportunity to explore. I was in the Army for 12 years. Um, then I got out and decided to finish grad school and pursued a career in academia. And so I just feel very strongly that, you know, we don't have to be, you don't have to feel like you have it all figured out back then. If I could tell myself that, maybe that would have saved me a little bit of stress. You still got to kind of live through it sometimes, I think, and have that experience yourself. Um, but I wish I maybe heard that a little bit more back when I began my kind of professional, professional life with things. Um, and maybe just something I would say in terms of how important this is, is the, the management of relationships probably matters more than anything else you're going to do. Marley knows this because we've had a couple of guest speakers come in, but it struck me over the last couple of years as well. Um, as I've had guest speakers come in, as I've reflected on my own personal experiences, you know, the tasks, the job, those things all matter. Your competence in those things matters, obviously. Um, but they're necessary but not sufficient for, I think, living a, a fulfilled professional and personal life. The relationships you have are going to be the things that make the difference. Um, they're going to things be the things that make your personal life enjoyable. They're going to make your professional life more enjoyable. 
um, and they're probably going to make you more successful for professionally when you navigate those relationships well um, with purpose, with focus uh, on what you're trying to do. Um, I've never regretted showing empathy or trying to connect with somebody, but I definitely have regretted it when I haven't done those things to the standard that I would have liked. Yeah, I think it's a great answer. Yeah, that yeah. was a very good answer. Yeah. I like, don't even know what to respond to. There's so much there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I guess something that I was going to say like at the very end was that was a really good point about regretting because I was just thinking about that too. Like, I don't think that you will ever regret focusing too much on the relationship but you would fo- you would regret focusing too much on the task because then you're like not focusing on the other important things in your life and I think that that's a good point to hear when you're like super young too and, and I think a lot of times from the you know especially as you start to get into leadership positions by doing that it, you know it's not like you don't care about the task it's not like it's yeah. not important but taking that time to manage a relationship to make sure somebody understands what they're doing to give them the chance to, to try to do that and, and give them a little support costs a lot in the moment maybe, but overall in the long run, I find it costs less long-term. They're going to be better at what they do. They're going to be more willing to support things that you're doing in Probably the future. Probably more long-term. Yeah, they add more to the organization. It, it, it's just this multiplier of, of effort and effect, and then you know you begin to take a lot of pride in the success that they have later as well whatever they go do in in their careers and so i don't know i've gotten a lot more out of those things than i've ever gotten out of like you accomplished this one task at work i think more about seeing people i worked with in the army who went on to be you know go to officer, officer candidate school and become an officer themselves from student veterans that I've worked with here on campus that have graduated and gone on to these amazing careers after their time at UVA, or students who have gone on to you know be these amazing entrepreneurs and seeing how they've applied some of the things we've learned in class. That's meant a lot more to me than any single paper I've gotten published mm-hmm. or some more individual task accomplishment yeah. than I've had. I mean, it says more about you as a person as a whole rather than just the task. Um, so another question that we're trying to ask everybody is just how much of your success do you think you could contribute to hard work versus luck? And something that I prefaced last time was success doesn't have to just mean like career-wise. It could mean sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I see those things as separate, right? I think through hard work you create opportunities for for luck to pay off. Um, through hard work, you're given a chance to, to do a different project at work. Through hard work, you put yourself in a place that you might be visible to a boss that wants to bring you on to something new. Um, and, and so, yes, timing matters. Yes, luck happens. But I think very much, you know, luck is, is kind of a byproduct of you putting yourself into to situations that you're prepared to excel mm-hmm. in. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know that I see them as separate, you know, thinking about that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of creating your own luck, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, you work hard. People see the value that you bring to things, and then you're lucky to get an opportunity, but you got that opportunity because of the, you know, the potential that you've demonstrated. Um, I just I think those two things are tied together. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just want to think I have more control over what's going <laughs> yeah, on around you, me than I do, actually, you know? I was just asking that question. I forgot how I phrased it, but I was like, do you 
do you think it's better to think that you're totally in control of everything or that you're in control of nothing because then it like takes the pressure off of you in a way yeah. like if you think that just like everything happens for a reason and whatever or is it better to think <laughs> that like, you're in control of most uh, things I'm I'm smiling a little bit cuz I even had this conversation really? with my daughter this morning <laughs> where she was telling me something about what her brother what, like her brother was being able to do something she wasn't able to do and I was like well what can you control and what can't you control? Mm -hmm. And why don't we just focus on the things that we can control? Mm -hmm. Cause I can't do anything about that other stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's not always easy. And I don't know that I always do a great job of it myself, but uh, that's something we try to talk about a lot. You know, what, what can you can control? Cause you can do something about that stuff. You know, what can you control about developing your competence? What can you control about making sure relationships that matter a lot to you are, are something you continue to invest in. And the things that you can't control, how much is that really bringing um, positive or negative vibes into your life? Because I'm betting it's probably more of the, the negative side yeah. of things, right? Yeah, so, I like that. Yeah, so not one or the other, but what, what can you? What can you control and, and how do you focus on those things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that helps a lot as well when you put all the effort in, you start something, and you hit a bump in the road, it doesn't go exactly how you wanted to get off to a good start, um, it can be easy to kind of extrapolate that and say, mm -hmm. well, if I'm putting in the work and this is the result of that, then maybe this won't happen, or maybe something that I don't want to happen will. Um, so I think just give me, being able to compartmentalize like what, what has been done, what you have control over now, and what's going to happen in the future as a result of that is... Yeah. And, and what what could I recognize? Was there something I missed that I could have recognized to to mitigate risk involved in something? You know, and even if the answer is yes or no, then at least you know for the next time around, right? Yeah. Um, could create some some potential to to limit the impact of that external thing that I don't really have control over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I guess the last question that we have is. I mean, it sounds like you've had a very interesting kind of windy <laughs> path to sure. to where you are now. So are there any, maybe one or two experiences that kind of especially stand out to you as having an unexpected impact on where you ended up today that you just weren't anticipating? Um, I would say there's a few things that come to mind. Um, you know, I think you're going to have multiple of these experiences in life. I think September 11th for me was just a monumental event in part because of the timing that it came. I was a, a fourth class, um, a, we call them firsties at West Point. I was a firstie facing going out into the, the army and it kicked off a series of events of deployments and things like that um, that became true sort of uh, foundational events in my life, those deployments that I had as part of the Army. Regardless of all the, the politics around that, for me it was me in the middle of a place I didn't know with other people I was responsible for, and that very quickly changed my perspective on, like, what are the stakes in life, right? Mm -hmm. And you asked a little bit earlier about purpose. I think that was something where it was like, well, what, what is the purpose? And what are my responsibilities to others and put that into a, a very kind of clear focus of, okay, you know, putting me down that path to the importance of others and that really being the most you know, important part of what I wanted to, to kind of focus on. Um, 
again, I think these are a few different experiences, but the birth of my kids maybe put into that question of like finding the balance in life before that, I'd be honest, it probably leaned a little bit more, more work. And now I've had to see, well, there's very important people that are outside of that professional life that I have responsibilities to. And how do you manage that and, and be an act, play an active role in those things. Um, you know, Marley, I think you said it earlier, like the success that we have, and it doesn't have to be yeah. professional success and, thinking about what does that kind of personal success look like. And then the last thing I just say is that that grad school experience, I could not have imagined transitioning out of the army halfway through a military career before I had that grad school experience and the power of education. I'll be honest, I don't know that I fully appreciated it in my undergraduate experience. It was going back to grad school as a 30-something-year-old to start a master's program. And I thought, oh my gosh, the only thing I have to do is care about myself and doing work at school. This is amazing. Like, this is an amazing experience. And, and so I joke around a little bit about that, but the, the value to be able to explore and to learn, I, I saw that in a very different way um, that second time around, getting to go back to school. So for me... I not like as many of, of you and your classmates that um, I feel like a lot of you have learned that experience now. I had to go through two combat deployments and a career <laughs> in the army, and then I was like, "Oh wait, this this is really important. It can be pretty impactful." Um, you know, I think those things uh, became became very important to me. And now, in retrospect, like now looking back at those things, um, those three kind of experiences have have forged my life in a different way. Yeah. That was that, an, that's another awesome, awesome, awesome yeah. speechless answer. Yeah. Yeah, these, these are all excellent answers. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you taking the time to chat with me a little bit. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time, obviously. Yeah, thank you very much. Very busy, so, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll put this off. <laughs>